Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 168 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking to get at charge safe and how they're influencing the design of chargers and charging bays. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that next week we're talking about ways to reduce your charging costs. Cheaper charge point operators, free charging, and other ways, some of which you might not be aware of. Our main topic of discussion today, though, is charger safety. Well, actually, it's a little more than that. We're looking at charger design, and more specifically, charger location design. Back in episode 119, we chatted with Kate Tyrrell from ChargeSafe. Back then, February 2022, she had an idea to perhaps see if she could do something to try and improve the level of safety at chargers. Nobody wants to have to sit in the back of an unlit car park at a single charger at night in a vehicle that cannot go anywhere in a hurry because it's connected to a charger with no CCTV, for example. Well, in a year and a bit since then, I think it's fair to say things have moved on a huge amount. So today we're talking with Kate about how things have changed, what ChargeSafe have done in the interim, and plans for the future. So I'd like to welcome back media sensation, newspaper article subject, and topic of conversation in Forbes magazine, Kate Tyrrell, founder and CEO of ChargeSafe. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's been about a year since you were on the show. And in that episode, you introduced us to ChargeSafe. You talked about how you were looking to ensure there was never a situation in the future where a vulnerable person had to charge in an unsafe location. How's that aspect of ChargeSafe going? I think it's going really well from a raising awareness perspective. So coming out and, and kind of launching uh, ChargeSafe onto the EV scene has certainly made a lot of the uh, ChargePoint network operators, the installers, local authorities really consider how they're going to um, develop their sites in future, which is fantastic. Um, we've definitely had a lot of engagement from some really major players in the industry. Um, I'm, I'm really actually very encouraged because I, I think when we first started out, I felt like, you know, we're, we were coming into this not making many friends <laughs> because we'd be telling everybody what was wrong with their work. But actually, the, uh, the way it's been received has completely blown any um, concerns that I had out of the water. Is it fair to say that your original aim of identifying safe charging locations has been somewhat overtaken by the need to identify accessible locations? How, how do you feel about that? Talk to me about the accessibility aspect. That's that's a, a very accurate um, description of what's happened. Absolutely. So since launching Charge Safe and really being about making charge sites safer, um, the accessibility element has definitely uh, come through as the priority with the uh, British Standards Institute um, producing the PAS document on 
best practice for accessibility. And the reason for that document coming about is purely because legislation would just take too long. And our industry being so progressive and so so uh, rapidly evolving needed something in place much sooner. So the BSI document and enabled them to publish something within 12 months, having re- done a, a, a ton of research using um you know the the charity motability ozev uh as as their funders but also contributors in terms of steering groups and speaking to uh disabled people as a community to understand what challenges there may be at our traditional and legacy uh charge sites and how to address that so with with all of that work really has supported us, I would say, as a business to um, effectively measure charge sites for accessibility. And I, I think because of that piece of work that they did, um, it's it's most definitely become the leading piece that, that we do now at Charge Charge Safe. So initially, when we first had our, our first chat, Gary, I think our question set was about 30 questions. Um, and today it sits at 144 points on the inspection. <laughs> <laughs> it's developed an awful lot. And I think even, uh, you know, between the draft BSI going out and when it was published, so the draft came out on Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you. And uh, the publication happened, was it mid-October, I think? I seem to think it was closer towards the beginning of November, but, you know, it's, it's there or thereabouts, yeah. It was, yeah. So, um, you know, as you know, um, having worked on the, uh, the the pilot for Motability Operations with us, it was uh, a very interesting time. I think the, the inspection grew as well at that point. So it was about 60 points. And then we had to really readdress all of the question sets. So why are we asking this particular question? What meaningful data do we want to extract from a charge site that is going to support the developers, the, the charge point network operators and the driver to understand the environment um, better? So 100% accessibility has become a, a higher priority. However, I do honestly believe in addressing accessibility issues that the um, all parties concerned are able to ensure that there's sufficient lighting and security on site too. So it, they have really um, complemented each other throughout that process. Yeah, definitely. And I, I want to come back and talk about motability in a little while. But um, I know that whenever I see someone posting on social media about, oh, there's this new charger that's gone in, I tend to look at the photo now with a much more critical eye than I would have done six months ago before we did all, all that work in, in Oxford. And it's it's often infuriating because in most cases, they've installed something new that hasn't followed the BSI standards that you were talking about, PAS 1899. How infuriating do you find that? <laughs> Quite. How- it's, it's difficult for me because what I want to do is to call every single person out. However, there is also a human element involved here. So, you know, with new installs, it could be that the installer responsible wasn't aware of the standards. And, you know, shame on them. They really should 
know about the standard by now. Um, but it could be that we haven't communicated it effectively enough as an industry, um, that we're not giving the right tools uh, to the installers to do that. The charge point network operators absolutely should be aware of this standard and should be ensuring that their installers are considering that when it comes to the site design. Um, and, and for me, I have had to call out some designs, especially on LinkedIn. Um, literally, I think in the last two weeks, there's been two sites that have really called out for a response. And I have shared the post, the original post, whereby the installer will be celebrating the install, which is, you know, we, we get this all the time on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, you know, look at this new site, it's just gone in. But actually, if I see that that new site has blatantly disregarded any considerations for accessibility, I will be sharing it and I will call you out on it because the BSI PAS document is available for free online. There is no excuse not to really do your research and ensure that those considerations being made ahead of the uh, of the charges going into the ground however the the compassionate side of me wants to say some of these designs were made before bsi came about and they've been signed off and they've been authorized so who takes the ownership for that is it to slow down the the involvement of uh, rapid charge infrastructure by saying hang on we need to revise our plans or do they just continue to supply the charge points that are clearly so very much needed right now and disregard these measures and then focus on what they're designing right now i i, I don't know it, it's always a very fine line to tread i mean um if we take the example of the paisley pair osprey install when I spoke to Ian Johnston from Osprey about that, I said, why did you not put canopies over the top, which is something that charge safe inspection uh, calls for? And the answer was because there was a lot of, forget the exact phrasing, but there was something that was in, that was underground that would have inhibited the ability to be able to put the uh, foundations in for a canopy. So there is a genuine reason why that didn't happen at uh, a place like the Paisley Pair. So I think it's it, it's appropriate to call out some of the installs that are there, but I think it's also, as you've said, you've, you've got to be aware of the fact that a lot of it is them not knowing the standards, but there is a certain aspect of it, which is, well, we understand what you would want, but there are certain legitimate reasons why we can't put that in at this particular location. Yeah. I mean, it, it just comes down to common sense in some circumstances though, Gary, because there's one network and I won't name them, but they do really infuriate me because they consistently ignore calls from uh, the disabled community, especially on Facebook and LinkedIn, um, who directly comment on their posts saying, this is not accessible. Um, there's even a hashtag for it, which I won't repeat here, but they have just recently put in a, a new site. The installer shared this site. And you know what? It looks like they've actually made considerations. They've made the uh, the base sizing wide enough. They've ensured that the bollards are in the correct positions, that the, uh, the screen and the payment terminal were low enough uh, to be used by a, a wheelchair user. And then they've covered the thing in gravel why? Why Why do that? I don't know if there's some sort of, sort of environmental impact there in that, you know, it's better than pouring concrete or, or tarmac. Fine. But wheelchairs do not travel well on gravel. Someone who might have a prosthetic leg 
or use walking aids is going to struggle. If somebody has arthritis, they're really going to to struggle with that with that surface. And it's just it almost feels like they're sticking their fingers up at, at that community and saying, well, yeah, we almost had it. And then, you know, we just did this because it was more budget friendly. Do you know, I've, I have a question in front of me and I'll read it out to you. There's one vocal supporter of yours on LinkedIn who seems to think that there's one CPO specifically who stated that they won't follow the PAS 1899 standards. Is that your experience? I think you've just answered that question, really, haven't you? <laughs> yes, it is my experience. They have not come to us. They are not answering our calls. And I am very keen to work with them because I feel like they could really do with, um, you know, rehabilitating their image, uh, especially considering just how important it is that we are inclusive in the charge world. This infrastructure that we put down today is going to help future generations convert to electric. What could be more important right now in terms of decarbonisation of transport? Can you talk to us about your involvement with Motability then, please? Yes. So it's so it's Motability Operations that we've been um, in cahoots with, I guess. Uh, Motability, the charity, are wonderful and we um, have been in discussions with them, but we've not directly worked with them just yet. Motability Operations is the business arm uh, who are responsible for the vehicles that go out to anybody who uh, receives a, a disability allowance and, and wants to be on the Motability scheme. So uh, John Jenkins, the head of innovation, absolute superstar um, of a human being reached out to us very early days and said, you know, I'm really keen to work with you as a business. Uh, what what can we do to support? How can we make sure your message is heard? And, and, and how can we get your information to really uh, support our customers in understanding where it's best for them to charge? So, this uh, relationship has been, it's almost a year old now and by far is, is one of my favourites. And you've met John, he's just this lovely Welsh bloke who is not scared to do completely outrageous and bizarre things in order to, he, he's very much a let's try and see if it works rather than worried about red tape. So I, I really like that attitude towards things. And he, he came to us and said, look, can you just go out and, and do a, a full county and show us uh, what the results look like? Tell us, um, you know, what are the, the top performing networks? What are the sites that cause most concern? What is the trending issue um, at these sites? And the, the whole process was actually really insightful. Um, as you know, Gary, being a part of the team uh, to help understand how the questioning of the sites would work and, and how we would deliver that data. Just incredibly valuable to us as a business as well in these beginning stages to understand what it is that we're trying to achieve and how we go about influencing that change. And I, I think since our last conversation a year ago, what we've really learned is, is it's not just the charge point network operator, it's the CPO it's the local authority, it's the uh, in installation partner and the distribution network operator. They all play an equally important part in the accessibility for design, um, the timeframe of delivery and the maintenance and, and operation of, of a particular charge site. So the work that we've done with Motability Operations, I'm sure will support 
thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of disabled people understand uh, where they can charge their vehicle and hopefully give them the confidence to convert to an electric lifestyle. But it's also really supported us as a, a startup business in refining our product and service. And I'm so grateful for that. We had uh, John on the podcast a couple of um, couple of episodes back. Uh, a fascinating discussion with him. Uh, as you say, he, he's very much let's get up and get this done. You know, we can go through all the red tape and sort that out. But no, get somebody out there, get some data that we can work with, see what the issue is, see what we need to put in place to solve the problem that's that's out there. Um, and it's been useful having that conversation with him. And as you've said, getting motability operations on board to help, I think has moved the the charge save offering forward a lot quicker than it would have done maybe if that support hadn't existed. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Let me change tack a little bit now. One key aspect of charge safe as a business rather than a rating entity is that of being able to provide a saleable product that is of value to people such as, but not limited to, charge point operators. How's that aspect of the business going? So it's actually going quite well. So I think from a from a business perspective, just to give you the the reality check, as it were, it was my partner and, and myself that, that started Charge Safe in November 2021. I was in full-time employment. That then uh, ceased to exist by February 2022, and we, we chose to, to part ways. We were then in a situation where James was working full-time and trying to develop all of the tech in the background, and I was consulting um, for other businesses within the EV space in order to make sure that the bills got paid. So it really was very much grassroots, <laughs> blood, sweat and tears, um, lots of exhausting nights working into the early hours of the morning just to get something that we could present to businesses as a, a viable solution for how they considered their, their charging infrastructure. We very, very early caught the uh, attention of the lovely Mr. Ian Johnston um, from Osprey, and they have uh, really helped us just to, I guess, secure confidence from other charge point network operators in that the information we provide is really valuable. It's a, a very granular uh, <laughs> data approach to understanding um, how the, the base sizes would uh, appear to somebody who uh, may have challenges using uh, the the usual charge point infrastructure, or you know people who are, are vulnerable, um, or you know just don't want to charge in the the back of a dark car park um, late at night. You know so. Osprey coming on board very early really helped us. Um, Fastned uh, came on board as well. We've done the whole of Fastned's uh, network. So um, Tom, the uh, the UK MD, has got all of the reports for every single Fastned site, and we're actually going to a, a launch in a couple of weeks at their next site. So that's really exciting. We've got a lovely relationship with them too, and it's it's really nice because. I think our concern again was having to give difficult messages and both Ian's team and, and Tom's team have very much taken every uh, negative point as constructive criticism 
and they've taken that away and they are looking to address any of our concerns in upcoming installs and also retrofitting uh, their, their current sites. So that's really encouraging. And I do just want to pay a special mention to um, Tim and Mark and the team over at 3TI because I, I had Tim on a on EV Musings with you, Gary, and he was so complimentary that I really can't not <laughs> say hi, Tim. Tim and the team have been wonderful as well at 3TI. So they've, you know, created the Papilio uh, unit and they got us down to have a look at the original design. Um, I walked around it, did all the measurements, gave my feedback. Um, and then they brought us in again to have a look at their version two. So they are really building a, a product that they're so considerate of. They really want to make sure that they, they're getting it right from the offset so that they're spending more money now to uh, benefit everyone in the long term. And I think that's really admirable. They could do it you know, much cheaper, much faster, but it, it wouldn't be inclusive. And they're doing it the right way, the harder way, um, but the right way. So that's really lovely. And it's, it's those three businesses that have really helped us. Motability Operations coming on board and subscribing to the data so that they can integrate that information with a future application, wonderful. And we've also got some mapping applications that are bubbling away under the surface, ready to go, and an OEM um, who we hope to be announcing in the near future. So watch this space. But the, the OEM is actually going to be putting our scores into their infotainment system, and they want to understand how every charge point in the UK ranks against our rating, but they also want to create their own bespoke rating so that if you fall below a certain level, your charge site will not be visible to their customers in their vehicles. And I think that is going to really be a game changer for us um, because I'm hoping then that other CPOs will go, right, how do we make sure we can get onto those infotainment systems? Because typically the drivers of these cars will be more affluent, you know, higher earners, likely to spend more money when they're at these charge sites. So from a business perspective, we've had to balance how do we create a meaningful product and service? How do we ensure that our integrity is never compromised when it comes to the independence of the inspections themselves? So we still stand by, nobody can sponsor or advertise uh, via charge safe. There's no backhanders going on. Um, everybody will receive the exact same 144-point inspection, which is very much a, a is this there, yes or no, um, <laughs> uh, guides with five-star uh, ratings applied to them. So it's, it's structured in such a way that it really can't be left to the perception of the inspector. And it's quite clinical. So I'm really pleased with that. And I think it's... Yeah, for us as a business, our independence is is the unique selling point. That is the key, the key thing. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of the things that I sort of picked up when I was helping you do some of the the Oxford stuff. Uh, that there's there's a huge amount of data, like you said, there 144 different points for every location, and the one thing that I think I picked up from the work that I was involved with is that you're basically, 
I'm going to use the posh word of today, bifurcating your data. Because what you've basically got is two different levels of information. You've got the detail 144 points, and you can slice and dice that sort of any way you want. Those people who are looking at it from a, a safety aspect can pick that kind of data out of it. Those who are looking for an accessibility aspect can pick that up. But we've also got, which I think is where the the value is in the data, is this higher level five-star rating. Um, and the, the sort of question, the previous question that I asked about a saleable product is, you can actually have two different bits of output from one inspection. So you can have the detail 144 points, or you can have, here's a summary, you scored three and a half stars, you scored 4.1 stars. And some of that information is useful for some customers. Let's take, for example, podcast sponsors, ZapMap. They may be able to look at the charge safe rating for a given location, <clears throat> 3.5. They can display that out there. That's good for them to have. But you go to uh, Fastned, they don't necessarily want to know the 3.8, the 3.9, the 2.4. They want the detail underneath that, the whole 144 points. Where are they falling down? Where are the areas that they need to focus? So from that point of view, that's a long way of me saying or asking you the question of, are you looking at providing two different levels of data for everybody? One which is the, you know, the granular information and one which is the summarized. Can people purchase that sort of separately? Absolutely. By the way, bifurcating, I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> that is a lovely Bi point. Bifurcating, yes. Yeah. Yes. Cut, uh, splitting into two, bifurcating. I, I like that, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, there is absolutely two levels of, of data there. Um, and even with the, uh, the, the summary style level that you know, the likes of ZapMap would benefit from, um, or, you know, Google Waze, all these amazing mapping applications, um, ZapMap being, you know, the, the major one that we all know and love in the EV industry. Uh, there are OEMs um, that can display the information in their cars. There are fleet providers who are looking for the quickest and most efficient way to get their light commercial vehicles um, charged without causing disruption to the public and therefore potentially being detrimental to their own brand. Um, as an example, if you've got a DPD van stuck in a little car park in the middle of the day and, you know, lovely mum comes along and, and wants to plug in her Kona while she's doing her food shop but can't because DPD van is there, that's going to tarnish their perception of, of a DPD brand. So what we're also doing is, is looking at ways that we can support fleet managers um, in the space who are being incredibly responsible and looking to electrocate their fleets. But then the next question is, how do we charge the fleets and, and do so in a way that is not going to affect their business operations, but also doesn't um, impinge on, on, on the public's comfort of being able to, to plug in and charge publicly? So uh, there's that. And there is another element to service that we've also come up with in the, in the last few months, really, because we were getting a lot of calls from people saying, you know, we'd like to know what's involved in the inspection, but we don't want the detail. We just want to know what we can do on future installs to make sure that they're charge safe compliant. 
So we are doing um, kind of like a consultation workshop with installers, um, CPOs are welcome to, to come along, where we go through the entire inspection plan and let them know what we are looking for and and kind of give them the tools to go out and, and redesign any current designs that are waiting to go um, or considerations that they can make in future. But also what we will be doing is every time that there's a, a revision to our current inspection set, which I'm hoping won't be any sooner than an annual uh, revision, but things will change and we will need to keep our, our finger on the pulse there, that you know, these people, these businesses will will receive a, a notification saying, you know, there's an update um, and we're publishing that now. So consultation services uh, have come out as kind of like a natural byproduct of what we're doing. We are teaming up with a company called Signmark um, who actually uh, create products for the market. I know that they supply to a lot of the major CPOs like signage and stuff. And with their customers, they're going to be offering charge safe consultation services when they look to design their charge sites. So that's like an extra arm that's come out um, of, of the business, but it's all working really nicely in terms of how can we ensure that as a business, we are funded to sustain our operation in collecting the data that will ultimately support drivers in understanding where they can charge and giving them that informed choice. What what is the best site for me to charge at? What fits my needs and my requirements? Now, that's interesting because the question that jumps out immediately then is, as a company, where are you focusing your efforts? Are you focusing on charge point operators who I believe at the beginning, when you, when you set out a year ago to do this, they're basically the ones who would benefit most from this? Are you focusing on the mapping applications who uh, will take the overall rating and, and propagate that out to different people? Or are you looking perhaps at, as you mentioned there, roaming entities, maybe um, I, have you, you've been in discussion with uh, Neil Riddle from Power, I believe, and, and fleets, things like that. What's your focus? What's your main priority? That's a really good question. Um, in terms of the branding and awareness, CPOs and mapping applications are still very much up there. We want CPOs to be aware of this so that they are very mindful of charge safe when they uh, create and sign off on new sites. We want them to have that hunger for the competition. You know, we want them to compete with their their competitors and making sure that they can get the highest score for charge safe because without an industry without competition becomes complacent, right? And and that's not what any of us want. Um, mapping applications is equally important because we need the visibility of the score. To date, right now, nowhere is there a formal publication of our site score per site right now. We are working with a, a couple of mapping applications who are still trying to work out how they want to display this data. And I'm, I'm so keen to just get it out there now, but we've got to do it right. So that is coming, but it's been much more difficult than I had originally anticipated. So the CPOs and mapping applications are just as important as each other because one's the brand and delivery and the other one is the visibility. But the way that the business is being funded right now really does come from the, the fleet element. So Motability Operations, the largest fleet in the UK, they've got over 650,000 vehicles. 
are our largest client. And then you've got, you know, the likes of, and I'm, I'm hoping to do something special with uh, Neil and the team at Power very soon. Um, but uh, just fleet managers everywhere, you know, how, how do we deliver meaningful data to these guys to ensure that their businesses can run smoothly? The consultation and workshops uh, are definitely becoming much more popular as well. I literally did a consultation with Zero Carbon Charge, who are a new CPO coming up in South Africa, (laughs) which is amazing. They're basically, I think, wanting to, looking to be the grid serve electric highway of South Africa. And I've been working with their team. We've had a a succession of workshops over the last few weeks and their whole team will be on there. We'll talk about all their designs. We look at the the digital remote platforms so the application to see if that's accessible as well. And that's been really, really good fun, um, but also really valuable to us as a business in terms of that, that financial gain. We need to get the money in so that we can start to employ inspectors on a mass scale. That is important. Our focus over the last couple of months has actually been on gaining investment. Um, we are looking uh, for, for a, I would say, a modest investment <laughs> for a startup to really develop our team nationwide. We need to have at least 20 inspectors out there right now, and we need a development team to uh, sort out our, our technical uh, platform as well with James and, and his team. Everything is a priority, but for, for now, the priority is, is the, the consultation stuff because we know we're directly making a positive in, impact on future installs. Are you looking at providing... Um, I'm going to use the phrase split ratings. For example, there's a large proportion of the population for whom the fact that there is no wheelchair accessible stall is, is absolutely irrelevant when they're, when they're charging. They just want to know how safe, well-lit, close to amenities a location is. But there are others who are completely the opposite. They want to know all about the accessibility aspect. Can, can you deal with this? We can, yes. So our... Um measurements when we do the inspection are split into safety and accessibility. So I have got a couple of statistics um, for you, Gary. We've got the safety, we've got accessibility, and then the overall um, overall site rating is a cross between the two. Let's hear these stats then. I'm dying to hear these stats. Do you, do you want to dig into the data? So the UK average overall score is 2.85. Right. So I think from the very beginning, I've said I'm looking for the minimum to be 3.5 across the UK. So 2.85 isn't great. That is split down into a safety average of 2.62 being the major concern, the one that started charge safe in the very beginning. And then 3.14 is the UK average accessibility score. So also not great. Now, just clarify, this is over how many, because you, I, I think I'm right in saying you haven't evaluated all 30-odd thousand charges. You've only done a subset. So No. <laughs> so this is from a, a selection of about 1,100 inspections across the UK. So we've not gotten to all 37,000. And uh, we literally, I don't think that's achievable until 2025. Okay, fair enough. That's a big chunk of work. But once we've gotten the the base 37,000 out of the way, I'm sure that we can keep on top about that pretty nicely. But yes, yeah, so from a selection of 1,100 inspections conducted 
over the last year. Um, those are the uh, the averages and the overall. So 2.85 is the charge safe score of the UK's infrastructure as it stands today. And just to give you an idea of how that is then broken down. So on the accessibility side, the most I guess, important thing that we look at when we first visit a site is the bay width in terms of, can I actually get out of my car before I can even access it? So 80% of these sites do not have an accessible bay size. And when we talk about accessible bay size, the UK national car park bay is 2.4 metres in width. So in order to make it accessible, it needs to have 1,200 millimetres aside that that parking bay, or the bay size needs to be three metres wide, where there are consecutive bays that are three metres wide. And then, <laughs> and then on the safety side of things, so that's 80%, by the way, that is a huge figure, right? So only one in five um, charge sites are going to be accessible right now which isn't okay. That means that if I'm a disabled person in a wheelchair, I have got to look five times as hard to find a site that I can charge at, regardless of my range, how expensive it is, how quick it is. Um, I can only use one in five sites to charge my car and that's not okay. Oh, that's very poor. Very, very poor. Yeah. Really poor. On the safety side of things, we have found that 13.2% of the sites inspected are sufficiently lit, being that there is a light directly over the charge point. 13.2, one in eight? Yeah. No, one in one seven, one something in like that. Yeah. Which is, again, not great. Not great at all. Not great. No. No, because this is the UK, you know, we have daylight savings after 4pm. That means that those sites are going to be plunged into darkness. And that's that's not okay. And of the sites inspected, 23% have security cameras. Oh, now, is that 23% have visible security cameras? Because I know there was a discussion that you and I had when we were working in Oxford that we were told by a certain CPO that all their sites have cctv but when we visited we couldn't find on some of them and it was oh well you may not be able to see them so that that was a great discussion and i'm i'm really glad that that was brought to our attention <laughs> because it wasn't something that was obvious to us at the time this is of security cameras that are visible and uh clearly covering the charger anything else fun and interesting ratings wise i've got the top five cpos do you want to know who they are we certainly want to know that who those are yes <laughs> This is, this is actually really exciting. So um, interestingly enough, so I've got the top five overall and I've got the top five for safety and the top five for accessibility. Um, what I will do is I will give you the top five overall, but I do want to give a special mention to one particular CPO. Okay, go ahead. So this CPO is not in the top five overall, but they did come up in the top five for accessibility and it's Easy Charge in Oxford. Um, I'm sure you'll you'll remember these with fondness, Gary. Very well aware of those, yeah. Uh, they are shorter charge points, um, which is brilliant. And all of the components are lower on the charge point. And I think it's one of the very first CPOs that we've seen who have, from the word go, made sure that their sites are accessible. 
there's definitely some things that need to be tweaked on on some of those sites and i have been able to to have a chat with the the founder of easy charge and again easy charge are one of the one of the good guys you know they really want to make sure that their sites are, are fully accessible and safe which is lovely but they have um given that they're really only in oxfordshire right now um made an impact which is just wonderful so special mention to easy charge from top five then, okay. Uh, can I guess? Can I guess what the top one is? Can I guess? Yeah, go on. Osprey charging. Ooh, no. <gasps> so this is t- so this is across safety and accessibility. So we know that Osprey have done a very good job with their new sites for accessibility. And the legacy sites have got uh, some, some way to go. So if you think of as a whole, there is one CPO out there who are just really pulling out all of the the stops when it comes to refitting their legacy sites. That should be a big enough clue for you. It's not GridServe, is it? The electric highways. So, in terms of what GridServe are doing right now, and it is, you know, I, I can I can just see Sam Clark's smug little face happy <laughs> about this. Um, I I do love it. So the electric highway, not only what GridServe are doing with the electric forecourts, um, which, by the way, are amongst the top five across the UK for site uh, scoring, but the the way that they are rebranding their hubs on the most major motorway service areas is incredible. They work so well with their um, partners to ensure that any issues are very quickly addressed. Um, I, I literally messaged Sam this morning about a situation that came up on um, the news the other day about uh, a welcome break service station, which is currently out of service. And I said, you know, what's going on with this? And he said, oh, we are working really really hard to try and fix this um, and I think it comes down to the grid connection in that area but they are just so super response, uh, responsive they clearly want to do the right thing their sites are, are beautifully laid out in terms of like the most recent ones and I've seen a couple of them on Facebook um, just recently amongst the disabled community saying these guys they've they've got it like they have smashed it and i think all future sites that we now see from gridserve i am extremely optimistic that they will be the the benchmark oh that's great news great news so gridserve is number one what's number two well gridserve are actually joint number one with Ionity. Really? Yeah. But if we have a look at the environment that these guys are both in, so when we're talking about 24-7 staff, access, security, having human activity nearby, nice busy areas, both are regularly seen at motorway service uh, areas, right? Mm -hmm. They're both relatively well lit. I know that there can be some dark uh, grid surf sites, and but Ionity always fantastically lit. And the newer grid serves are, you know, I mean, I think grid serve actually had a complaint over about their Norwich site being lit up like Vegas, uh, which the the locals see as a bad thing. But I'm like, hey, <laughs> that's great <laughs> for safety. <laughs> so yeah, I think by the very nature of where those sites are, you know that there's always going to be someone around, and for that they scored really well with the uh with the safety um and ionity sites tend to be the the drive-through model 
from an accessibility perspective, there's more room to move around the machine. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Third place is Osprey. So it's ele- electric highway and Ionity are joint first. So I guess Osprey is second, but in, you know, I d- <laughs> what is the official way to announce that? So Osprey are second slash third. Yeah. Um, Ian and the team doing a great job. Absolutely love them. Fastned are fourth. And I controversially, Instavolt are the fifth. And Instavolt are the fifth only for safety. Instavolt's safety measures have done so well that it has completely eclipsed any of their sins for accessibility. So interestingly enough, if you think about Instavolt sites, they're usually at McDonald's. They can be on retail parks, usually with very strict uh, car park policies. So the AMPR is there, which means that they're covered by security cameras. They're usually quite well lit. Um, And if it's near a McDonald's, especially a a 24-7, they're always going to be staff nearby. So they've done some some great things and i i think it you know it's fair to say i have never been to an instavolt that has failed on me some machines might have gone slower than expected but actually i've always had quite an easy experience using an instavolt machine but i am you know a 33 year old woman who is able-bodied i'm not somebody who has access requirements and I think it's really important that Instavolt take a very long, hard look at their future site designs and their legacy designs and find a way to work with the disabled community to improve on that. So let's talk safety then. Who are the top five CPOs from a safety aspect? So literally uh, all of the above. (laughs) So Electric Highway, Ionity, Osprey, and then Instavolt takes over Fastned. That really coming down to uh, a couple of Fastned's very first sites in the UK being put in some questionable locations with very poor lighting. So we stopped off at the Angel with the North site to do an inspection. Um, It was very late at night and, you know, there's no lighting. I think the the lighting restrictions were actually there um, because... Uh, health and safety, bizarrely, um, right next to a motorway, but also there's some nature right behind where the charge site is. So Tom is aware of this and he's working on it. I, I guess it's it's really no fault of theirs that you've got this massive statue looming in the background, which against a dark sky, the silhouette of the Angel of the North is incredibly eerie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it filled me with dread. And I said to James, I'm not getting out of the car. Like if, if, if I had been on my own, I would not have stopped to charge there. Um, and this feedback has also been given to Fastnet. So I think, you know, a couple of their much older sites have meant that Fastnet come in fifth and Instabelt jump up to fourth. Okay. And what are the top five accessible scores? Right. So Fastnet and Ionity are joint first. If we have a look at the Hamilton, Hamilton site for Fastned, it scored very nicely. Uh, they've got this extra bay on the end, which is the drive-through model, meaning that um, it's accessible. 
but also can be used by light commercial vehicles, which is lovely. Um, and they are using that particular model to deploy out across the UK as much as they can. So they've got this new site, um, Parsons Road, that's very recently launched, um, which has you know, been very considerate of accessibility. Uh, there's... Um, Oh, there's another one I can't remember. Uh, I want to say it's Washington, um, where that's also got like a, a drive through on the end of it as well. So Fastned and Ionity joint first, then Electric Highway and Osprey a joint second. <laughs> so third and fourth. Or third, yes. Yeah. <laughs> first, um, first, third, third and fifth, yeah. Yeah, literally like like uh, they they were bang on um so and then easy charge third or fifth i know what you mean i know what you mean (laughs) i know i know how i would list it if i if it was written down but it's saying it out loud that just makes it feel much more complex yes it does seem bizarre can i i know you've been waiting for me to to say this so i will say can i play devil's advocate yes you can Please do. Do we have a an issue with the fact that your number five overall does not appear anywhere in your accessibility listings? Does that mean that maybe there's a weighting issue if something which is so poor on accessibility, which I know accessibility constitutes the large proportion of the inspector questions. How can a um, a CPO that that rates so poorly on accessibility still end up in the top five overall? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I think the reason for that being um, that we've been able to get to more Instavolt sites. So I think actually, yeah, potentially there's an issue. I wouldn't say with the weighting of the inspections themselves, but actually just in the amount of ground that we've been able to cover. So these results really are from that 1,100 inspections that we've completed, of which the percentages of, um, if we were to look at the uh, the bias of ground covered uh, versus CPO visited, um, there are more Instavolt machines out there. Um, that we could look at for safety. Easy charge um, come up in accessibility because we focused specifically on Oxford, uh, Oxfordshire as a county. Um, you know, Fastned, we've done their entire network, so they're going to come up. Osprey, um, we've looked at more of their sites, so they're going to come up. Electric Highway, we travel so much uh, that it would be remiss of us not to use Electric Highway when we're on the motorway because it's just so convenient. So I feel like I should caveat those results with of the networks that we have uh, visited in concentration when we are able to um, deploy a nationwide team and collect this data en masse, I think that we will continue to see Electric Highway, Osprey, Ionity in there. I think that others will fall to the wayside as we are able to get out to more more sites from different operators. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. I yeah. would say, though, can I just say, we have been to uh, a lot of BP Pulse and Shell sites and Genie Point sites um, have come up quite a lot. And 
those three did not come up in any of the top five across safety, accessibility or overall. So it's not that we're not visiting those sites. It just might be that we are going to these other CPOs more often because of the way that we travel. Right. Yeah. Now that makes sense. Uh, so the the statement is that as the number of sites across the UK increases in terms of those that you've actually uh, visited, the proportion of those which are Instavault will decrease in terms of the the overall number, the overall CPOs that you visited, and therefore the overall rating for Instavault will stabilise at one which is more representative of them as a as a proportion of the whole of the network rather than just the subset that you've been uh, evaluating at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've also been paying a little bit of extra attention to Instavault sites to really highlight the accessibility piece. Um, but uh, what that's done is, is achieved uh, a better safety rating for them in the rankings <laughs> rather than highlighting just how poor the accessibility is. Last question for you now then. What would you tell somebody about ChargeSafe all the findings that um, that you've got from the inspections that you've done so far that they would find surprising or counterintuitive, something that would make them go, ooh, other than the Instavolt issue? Ooh, um, okay. That we are looking to work with uh, the government in order to legislate uh safety measures and accessibility wherever possible, um, which, you know, could effectively put ChargeSafe out of business. If this is made a, a legal matter and all CPOs have to adhere to these certain measures, you know, what, what kind of a business is that? But actually, we are all about the driver and we just want to make life simpler for anybody who's looking to convert to an electric vehicle and we will always champion the driver so whatever work we can do to improve infrastructure we will and we will just find other ways to ensure that charge safe is sustained as a business fantastic answer kate tyrrell thank you very much for your time much appreciated a couple of takeaways from this kate provided some great data there regarding the top five cpos from an accessibility safety an overall rating. I was surprised to see one or two of those in there, but that does indicate that the limited nature of the reviews so far has skewed the data slightly. With more inspections, that data will even out. Also interesting to hear Kate confirm that there are certain CPOs, no names, but you can probably guess, who don't seem to be too concerned about accessibility for their charges. I wonder if that'll come back to bite them in the rear as things develop. Anyway, many thanks to Kate for uh, an excellent discussion. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Extreme E is an FIA-sanctioned off-road racing series spun out by Formula E founder Alejandro Egag. As an all-electric racing series approaches the start of its third season this month, it's shared that second-life battery storage specialist Zenoba is once again on board as its official energy storage supplier. The Zenoba power skids play a pivotal role in powering the remote microgrids, microgrids required to support the teams, their electric vehicles, and the overall league operations like broadcasting. The power skids are powered by repurposed electric bus batteries with the capability to store roughly 150 kilowatt hours of energy, replenished by Enoa's hydrogen fuel cells in addition to solar and wind energy. 
That's a great second life use of old electric bus batteries and a great way of reducing the carbon footprint of a global racing series. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK, which helps EV drivers search, plan and pay for their charging. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. ko-fi.com slash evmusings. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want something to read on your Kindle. So, You've Gone Electric is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, You've Gone Renewable is also available on Amazon for the same 99p, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingCV with the words, better safe than sorry, hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon, you know he's pretty sure he knows what's going to happen when the apocalypse comes. He'll just get on his unicycle and head off into the distance, avoiding any retribution, judgment or damnation. I told him it might not be that simple. After all, he's up against some pretty powerful forces. In fact, I think I said to him, can I play devil's advocate? Thanks for listening. Bye.